Welcome to episode 81 of the Farm Exec Podcast. I'm Elaine Quilici, Senior Editor of Farm Exec Magazine and your podcast host. Farm Exec Magazine is a multimedia publishing brand that brings you the latest commercial insights for this C-suite. On this week's episode, I have the pleasure of speaking with Dr. Michelle Cleary, CEO of the Mark Foundation for Cancer Research. Michelle talks about the challenges and silver linings of continuing cancer research during the pandemic. Let's take a quick break from our sponsor and we'll be right back with Michelle. What if you had limitless access to customer insights, accelerated timelines, and set fees? At True Serum Network, we're fueled by connections in virtually every area of healthcare as part of MJH Life Sciences. The result? Audience-fed creative and more powerful content in less time. True Serum Network, releasing what's real. Find out more at trueserumntwk.com. Hello, podcasters. Today, I'll be interviewing Dr. Michelle Cleary, CEO of the Mark Foundation for Cancer Research. Michelle's here to discuss how the foundation's navigated COVID to help keep critical cancer research going throughout the pandemic. Thanks for joining us today, Michelle. Thank you for having me. So what effect has COVID had on the progress of cancer research? Was it delayed much? So healthcare research in general across the board was substantially delayed by the COVID pandemic. We, being a cancer research foundation, we had a front row seat to what was happening for cancer research, and that too was substantially delayed. In March of 2020, a lot of our researchers had to very quickly shut down their labs. Life science research is really built upon living organisms, and unfortunately, with little time to really think about how to manage those living organisms like animal models and engineered cells, many of them had to be discarded in a rush, and that actually disrupted our researchers' experiments. The other thing about cancer research that's really important to understand is that cancer happens over time, and so experiments are longitudinal. They happen over time, and many of our researchers had to abort experiments, lengthy experiments, right in the middle, um, and those losses in time will never be recovered. The last thing I want to say about how COVID really impacted our cancer researchers is that we saw, and as a you know, new foundation, we're trying to support innovations, breakthroughs, and game-changing research. Some of these were poised to actually make a difference for patients. And now that they were paused, those patients who might have benefited from these innovations probably will not see those innovations and some of those patients will actually die. So it's it really had a substantial impact on cancer research. Was there any effect from a regulatory perspective? So again, across the board for healthcare research outside of infectious disease, there were regulatory impacts. I, I do know people that work at the FDA and they were working round the clock, very overwhelmed with a priority that was focused in the right place, getting COVID treatments and the COVID vaccines through the regulatory process. What this actually meant for other areas of healthcare research and other innovations in healthcare is that in some senses they took a back seat and didn't weren't able to get the timely attention that they needed to push those discoveries through. I will say though that you know the FDA did a really good job at keeping a lot of balls in the air 
And we didn't see the impacts that you might have imagined in terms of getting things that were poised to go into the clinic, therapies that were poised for clinical studies. We do see those moving forward. We have seen those moving forward. One thing that actually the companies that we fund have experienced is that as they're taking their new therapeutics through preclinical and clinical approval processes, they have benefited in the past from being able to meet with the FDA face-to-face. And this does a lot to establish trust and create the right relationship. Of course, everything's now done remotely and virtually. And so they've had to navigate actually forming those relationships in a productive way working in a remote way as all of us have. But I think it's working out okay. And things are moving through at a slower pace, of course, but they are getting through. And I think that that's promising. So what about donations? How have donations to cancer research been affected? That's where we have seen a very substantial impact. Not for us. We, our foundation relies on a very generous founder and donor, Alex Naster, who has stayed the course with us and continued to fund us at our target budget. This has really helped us because we have a number of projects that were in the works and we wanted to continue to fund those. We do partner with other foundations and what we've seen on that front is that the impacts have been substantial. They weren't as lucky as us because the way that they typically raise money is through in-person events and also through interactions with multiple donors. And all of those efforts had to be suspended very early on. It took a while for some of these foundations to figure out the right sweet spot of how to raise money virtually. And some of them are doing it now, but they've seen their budget slashed by tens to hundreds of millions of dollars. And this has had a substantial impact on researchers who are still in flight and still trying to move forward, particularly the young investigators who are caught in sort of this trap of there's, you know, I want to move on with my career. I, I, should be applying for jobs as an independent investigator. A lot of those jobs are on hold right now. How am I actually going to continue to do my research where my postdoctoral funding, for example, may have run out? And and that's been an area where we as a foundation have been able to work with our partner foundations to pick up some of the funding that they weren't able to actually give out to the researchers that they had engaged prior to the pandemic and had made some promises to. The other thing that we've seen with the other foundations we work with is that they've needed to undergo some substantial layoffs of staff in order to stay solvent. And this has had an impact on the ability to get things done efficiently and effectively. So how has the Mark Foundation been able to keep critical research going throughout these difficult times? So when we realized that we weren't going to be shut down for just two weeks and that there probably was going to be a lengthy period of time where research would be paused or delayed and in many cases outright suspended, we connected with our grant recipients and sat down with them to try to understand what they needed financially to get through this period. Typically, we make payments on some annual basis or six-month basis, depending on the grant type that we're funding. And what we really wanted to know from them was rather than putting all of the money and in, in their installments into the coffers of the university, what did they need now to do what they needed to do? And preserving some of that funding because what we understood, and I think that we're actually seeing now that labs are you know, coming back online, is there were going to be unanticipated needs 
to resume experiments and to get back or recover as much as possible some of the lost time and ground that these researchers actually experienced. And doing that created a lot of work for us because we were meeting quarterly with all of our grantees in our portfolio who were expecting payments and saying, what do you need now to get salaries paid? Because we didn't want to see our researchers not get salary, even if they weren't going into the lab. We knew that they were going to be working on data, that they were going to do the best they could while juggling children at home and homeschooling as well as other priorities that they were going to work to try to get some of the paperwork aspects of their research out of the way. And that actually has been the case. As I mentioned before, we also stepped in to pick up some of the awarded grants that other foundations were not able to fund. And this was good for us because it allowed us to get new scientists and projects into our portfolio. And we're really excited about that. The last thing that we did, and you know, we debated this a lot, we decided to stay on track with our own grant calls for proposals. We delayed submission of one that had already launched because we knew that the researchers needed more time to prepare, but we stayed the course with all of our other programs. And, and we're really glad that we did that because we're getting some exceptional projects into our portfolio this way. How has coronavirus science opened new opportunities to improve cancer research? So interestingly enough, a lot of our researchers pivoted to COVID research while they couldn't get into their labs to do cancer research. Priority was given to labs doing COVID research, and many of our researchers took advantage of that. It helps in two ways with cancer research. One is that the cellular processes that viruses co-opt to actually make more of themselves and to cause an infection are some of the same processes that cancer cells use to cause disease in a patient. And when studying COVID and the cellular biology of COVID, many of our researchers are learning things about cancer, particularly as it applies to the immune system. And we're seeing some of our researchers do screens for either genetic or drug screens for new targets in COVID or new therapeutics that can be repurposed for COVID. And some of those will actually play a role in cancer too, because those targets emerge in some of the cancer research. In getting into the labs to do COVID research, they were able to resurrect to some degree their cancer research, and that's been helpful. And, you know, we actually are learning now, a year after this happened, some of the really exciting results that our researchers are finding. There are a few papers coming out, and I'm looking forward to seeing what those are. Is there anything else that COVID has taught the oncology space? For example, maybe, you know, could we see a rise in more convenient therapies? So maybe we can see a rise in more convenient therapies. I think the one thing that COVID has really taught us is how fast we can turn around innovations when we want to, and the urgency is there to do it, as well as when you get all of the right stakeholders collaborating together to make that actually happen. When, one of the frustrations for me, and I think for anyone who is close to cancer research and then has a family member with cancer, is that you see all the exciting potential of the things that are being worked on, and then you realize it's going to be a really long time before this ever makes it into the clinic. This is not going to help my family member. This this promise of speed is really, really important, and maybe we can apply some of the COVID learnings to cancer. I think I've heard multiple people ask the question, well, why can't we warp speed new cancer treatments? And I think that maybe we can. It's really great that we have a new administration that, that cares about science, but President Biden has a particular affinity for cancer and cancer research. 
he recently asked Congress to approve a $6.5 billion budget to create a new agency in the NIH. This agency would be very similar to DARPA for defense. It would be the Advanced Research Projects Agency for Health, so they're calling it ARPA-H. At the recent AACR annual meeting, the National Cancer Institute's director, Ned Sharpless, actually laid out three areas that will be in focus for the NCI if any of that money were to come through. The first area of focus would be the conducting of national trials for blood-based early cancer detection platforms that are being developed by companies like Grail, Foundation Medicine, C2I Genomics, and a host of others. It's really important that we have tools to detect cancer early because when you get a patient's cancer in the earliest stages, you have a lot more options for treatment and the prognosis is usually pretty good. So these new platforms have been out there for a while and being developed and being developed in an uncoordinated way. If the NCI were to pull it all together into national trials, I think that could move things forward very quickly. The other thing that the NCI would be aiming to do is to have more government-sponsored clinical trials. And companies typically focus on their own therapeutics, but science is actually telling us there's a great number of opportunities to combine therapeutics from different companies, as well as to use biomarker approaches or science-driven approaches to clinical trials. And it really will take a government effort to actually get those trials underway and speed them along. And then the last area focus for the NCI, if we are able to get this money from Congress, is to focus on new therapies that are built on the exciting new chemistry and structure-driven platforms that are coming out of academic labs, including cryo-EM and the use of molecular glues, which I think the most well-recognized form of that are the Protax that are new ways to drug what used to be deemed as undruggable targets. So I you know, really hope that baked into these plans and the government's participation in these efforts will allow us to accelerate breakthroughs that can be achieved in these efforts and that we use some of the learnings from the COVID vaccines to actually see that acceleration happen. Well, it's great to hear about all these encouraging possibilities in oncology. Michelle, thanks so much for being with us today. It's been really interesting learning about, you know, how cancer research has been affected by COVID and the work you're doing to ensure that it advances. You're welcome. It's been a pleasure to be here. What if you had limitless access to customer insights, accelerated timelines, and set fees? At True Serum Network, we're fueled by connections in virtually every area of healthcare as part of MJH Life Sciences. The result? Audience-fed creative and more powerful content in less time. True Serum Network, releasing what's real. Find out more at trueserumntwk.com. And now it's time for this week's leadership tips from pharma execs. Hi, I'm Dr. Michelle Cleary, CEO of the Mark Foundation for Cancer Research. And what I've learned as a leader is that it's very important for the members of your team to feel ownership of a shared mission. The best way that I've found to achieve this is to treat them like partners rather than reports. In many cases, I found that their ideas for how to succeed are better than my own. And it's been important to actually empower them, make sure that they're heard and that they have the tools to move forward with those ideas. 
Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed this week's Farm Exec podcast. We are always pleased to take you behind the headlines, provide expert tips from industry leaders, and give you an inside look at what the Farm Exec staff is working on. Remember, you can always find us on the web at farmexec.com, on Twitter at farmexec, on Instagram at farmexecutive, and on YouTube. The views expressed on this podcast do not reflect the views of FarmExec, its parent company, or our advertisers. For editorial questions, please email editorial director Lisa Henderson at lhenderson at mjhlifesciences.com. And for sponsorship opportunities, please email group publisher Todd Baker at tbaker at mjhlifesciences.com. 